Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision and our brand new season, The Fintech Fuse. This is Theo, your host for the episode. And today, I am super delighted and honored to welcome Brian Lee, President and CEO at Landings Credit Union, to join us on the show to talk about something that I am super passionate about. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Theo. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Now, I would be lying if I sat. I was not jumping up in excitement when I read the American Banker article about your credit union being designated as a dementia-friendly business. If I recall, it was late at night. I don't remember what time zone I was in. I was reading it, and I'm like, oh, my God, wait, what? This is super cool. And I remember sending you a note, and you responded like, (laughs) Wow, the stars lined up. So thank you so much for saying yes. But before we get to that, I am very curious because I read your profile um, in the article. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey from examiner, I believe that's what you call it, to being a credit union CEO? Yeah, definitely. It's funny. I think everyone has their different career journeys along the way. And especially in the the credit union world, a lot of people will talk about, you know, how they got to where they're at. And I always used to joke that I kind of snuck in the back door. So I, I started in public accounting and was on that side. And um, then I got involved with credit unions through the National Credit Union Administration as a as an examiner. And uh, when you're the regulator, sometimes you're uh, not loved so much on the on the credit union side. Uh, but after a little while, a great opportunity op- opened up here at Landings Credit Union to uh, come on board as the, the CFO. And so I took the jump. This was a credit union that's down the road from where I grew up. It's down the road from Arizona State University, where I'm an alumni. Um, it was just a great fit. Um, and then from there... Really, my timing wasn't any better that I, I took over with the CEO position in January of 2020. So I had a couple months before the pandemic hit to really get my feet on the ground <laughs> in this position. So it's been quite the journey to be where I'm at and uh, just rolling with it since then. So it's a great place to be. I love I love being in the credit union industry. Um, met a lot of great people along the way. So. I did not realize until you just thought that January 2020, I think we call it baptism by fire, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was no other way to deal with it. I mean, you just kind of say, well, let's let's see. I mean, it's funny because right before that, you know, I had interviewed for the position. I had all these big plans to jump in and take, take off right in January. And uh, then you kind of throw those all out the window and say, all right, let's just keep things rolling here for a while. So... It's a good experience. (laughs) And before you know it, we're almost towards the end of 2023. So time flew. Right. Yeah. It's been going by really fast. Wow. I hope it's been a fun, great journey so far. It seems like. Yeah, it has been. Yep. And it seems like sometimes I look back, it feels like it's been 10 years in the last, you know, almost four years. (laughs) I I felt that way. I felt like it aged 10 years (laughs) in the last few. I kid you not. Um, Now, so... Let's look at some stats because that's always eye-popping when we talk about the demographics, um, one of the demographics that we often forget. I think that would be a good word to use. Um, there are worldwide 55 million people who have been diagnosed with dementia. I think one of the things that 
I often quote when I talk about um, dementia and Alzheimer's is that someone in the world develops dementia every three seconds. That that's that's astounding from you know a disease development for something that we don't really have a cure perspective. Now, back in our backyard in the U.S., 6.7 million Americans age 65 and older, that's about one in nine, has Alzheimer's dementia. But in just another two years' time, by 2025, we'll be looking at that number at 7.2 million, which is 7% increase. However, when we look at it, it feels like okay, this is trending nowhere else but up. Why are we not paying more attention? I can't understand it. I've been looking at it for the last seven years. And every time when I look at it, I thought to myself, wait a minute, this is something that is going to be a challenge. That is a challenge. It is going to be a growing challenge. Um, and I was so delighted when I saw that you guys actually did something about it. So walk us through what prompted you to go down this particular path amongst everything else that you're doing. And what exactly does a dementia-friendly business mean? Yeah, it's really amazing those statistics you shared. And, and we had a few of those as well. And when you talk about where we're headed towards 2025, uh, Arizona actually leads the nation in the projections and some of the projections we saw were almost a 33% increase in the cases in Arizona by 2025. And so obviously that's something that's very, you know, hits home for us and it's very personal on, on how we adjust to that. And we, you know, we have a lot of retirees here in Arizona. And so that's, that's something that's on our minds a lot. Um, this was something as we got our staff together, as we started looking at this, luckily we had a, a board member that has a daughter working with a, a nonprofit that's in this space. And so as we talked a lot about how we help our members along different life stages, this was one that I think sometimes gets ignored as well. Like, right, we, we tend to think about, you know, once it's on autopilot after that person's been here for a while and and after 60, it's all just the same. But there's so many life changes still going on uh, throughout those years and not just our members that, you know, you talked about the percentages that are going to be faced with dementia and Alzheimer's uh, after age 65 and after age 85, that number goes up to about a third of people. And so as we're living longer, a third of people over 85 uh, will have dementia. And so it's something we're, we're faced with every day. And so on the banking side, we just started talking about, man, how does your life change with that diagnosis? And we were taught as well, there's, there's a lot of people that will avoid getting diagnosed because they know there's a lot of big changes when you're in, in that position. But for those that are, are faced with, with dementia and with Alzheimer's, their, their life changes. And for the position that we're in, that's very sensitive, dealing with their financials, dealing with a uh, a business that could be prone to fraud for those that uh, aren't aware of what's going on. Uh, we wanted to be that resource for both our our members that are faced with dementia, but also their their caretakers um, as they they deal with that. So one of the figures we saw as well, there's 16 million caregivers uh, in the United States for, for people with dementia. And so you imagine 
you know, the stresses that they're dealing with. And as we have, you know, my, my parents are 80 now, right? Like we have those things that we're dealing with with our own children, our own lives. And then we're looking after our aging parents or aging family members. Um, we wanted to be that extra resource that says, okay, you don't have to worry about when they're going to do their banking, that something bad's going to happen and they're going to lose their life savings or they're going to, you know, do something wrong. And so there's a lot of little things that we learned about that are just, you know, including the signs so that we can notice what's going on. And then from there, what are those tools that we can use to, to reach out, to help our members, to be there, to protect them and their money. So it's been quite a journey for us because really getting this designation was to us the starting point. Uh, we received a lot of training. We had our staff talking about experiences. But from there, uh, it, it's really our commitment. What are we going to do going forward? How do we change our physical space? How do we change the way we interact with our members and communicate with them? And so it's a lot of stuff that we have a lot of takeaways, some things we've already changed already, some things that are longer term plans, uh, but we want to be that safe and accommodating place for them. For those of you who are listening, which is probably all of you, you couldn't tell I was nodding my head because this is what we've been advocating for quite a while now, right? Looking at the needs of people as they get older, but also looking at the needs of their caregivers um, because it's a lonely, lonely journey. Um, oftentimes, these are people who are working, and as you say, they also have their own lives, and they're faced with their loved ones slowly drifting away. and. Uh, it's it's daunting to say the least. I do want to ask you beyond the training you did mention. This is just a starting point. Um, so beyond the training, beyond looking for the signs, what more do you think we should be doing from a financial services perspective to support this aging demographics in your member base as well as in the society as a whole? Because I remember a couple of years ago when um, I first started down this journey, I was in London and. There were quite a few big banks, if you will, but oftentimes when they sat together and they talk about addressing the needs of this particular demographics, it automatically shifts to this is vulnerable demographics and we need to bubble wrap them. And that's all there is. But there's more to aging than just getting frail. There's more to aging and getting older than just losing your memory. There's a lot of needs that that we have, right, as a society with different generations. And you mentioned that your parents are in the 80s and mine are in the late 70s. And, so, you know, my kids, they're young, but they'll be in college, right, in about 8 to 10 years. And I am turning 50. So when I look at all of the forces that are demanding my attention, I don't even know where to start. Right. It's uh, it's funny as I was thinking about this. I, I love music and I was uh, my son's really into the Beatles. And so there's a Beatles song when I'm 64, right? And it's a lovely love song, but talking about aging and what's going on then. Um, so I, I did a little research and I pulled up. And so that song was released in 1967. In the UK, the life expectancy in 1967 was about 71 years. So you figure when I'm 64 was written as someone that has about six or seven years left in their life at that time. Uh, in the UK and similar to US, that life expectancy has risen about 10 years since then. 
And so that six or seven years is now 16, 17 years. So at 64 is, you know, as we're getting a little closer to that, doesn't feel like it's that old anymore. But <laughs> And so it, it's, it's amazing what we can do in the community. And I think whether it's our, whether it's social security, whether it's retirement plans, uh, finances, the, the system has traditionally not been set up for people living in well into their eighties and nineties. And not only that, but being well and being active, like we haven't thought about that or changed maybe those ideals since when that life expectancy was 10 years less. And so we have to be able to handle that, not as only as financial institutions of like, okay, how do we react to that? How do we make sure that uh, these people are taken care of with their finances, that they still have access to these, make sure they're not being left behind as um, we change technologies or efficiencies, whatever it is, uh, that they're still comfortable with their banking partner. And then as a community, uh, one of the ways we got involved is because we do have these dementia-friendly communities, luckily where we uh, are located uh, here in Tempe, city of Mesa in Arizona was the one that uh, signs up businesses to be dementia-friendly. And so they've taken it very seriously to say, we want communities and the business partners and individuals all on board to be able to support our dementia community. And so that's something that I, I see. Um, I, I just saw this morning and it goes along with some statistics that I, I've seen here locally is that baby boomers are dealing with uh, the largest percentage of homelessness since the great depression. And so uh, I'm on the board of a nonprofit here that works with our, our, Loma, uh, our local homeless population. And we're seeing the same thing. A lot of seniors that are now forced with, for the first time in their life, uh, homelessness. And so whether it's affordable housing, uh, food assistance, there's all these different things. Even you go down to loneliness. Um, some of the figures we also saw is uh, when, when people are uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's or dementia, there's still about 60 or 70% of them still live in their home, you know, may have some assistance and stuff, but they're still in our community, still functioning. Um, so that's not, it's a very high uh, percentage that are still very active in our community. And so we have to all be aware of, of how do we respond to that? How do we make sure that they're taken care of? How do we make sure that they don't end up on the streets because they, they missed payments or their retirement isn't keeping up with uh, increased expenses from inflation and all those problems that we're faced with, but they're faced with a very fixed and uh, sometimes challenging situation. That was another stat I saw recently as well, since I was putting um, a deck together, it talked about also debt especially student loans, um, which is quite high for a large group of people who are older um, and who actually don't really have the earning power as we do already, because a lot of um, parents and grandparents, they end up co-signing loans for their children and grandkids. And so those are things that we don't talk much about. And, and certainly to your point, I don't think our system was was built to anticipate that and and the changing relationship that we have with money. I remember um, quite a few years ago now, someone told me, because I approached 
a fintech and and I saw that they had um ability to split bills and I asked them I said you know what would it take to you know tweak that a little bit and allow caregivers family caregivers to split expenses because that's another huge expense um I remember my family went through that for my for my grandmother um and we all lived everywhere within the states east coast west coast and what have you and it's really hard. I mean, short of, you know, in Excel spreadsheet. And I remember they told me, they they looked me square in the eyes and they were not kidding when they said that. They said, we don't do old people. I I was like, okay. I wasn't asking for you to do anything specific, just tweaking something that you have. So I think we still have um, a little ways to go, if you will. But um, let's switch gear a little bit. Um, wanted to ask you on the topic of banking changing, on the topic of demographics changing, where we work, how we work, where we live, all of that is changing. And, you know, cities, Arizona, states, Arizona, or, you know, even Virginia, Minnesota, all of that, we are... Um, I saw, I saw um, a stat that talked about people moving right, in the last few years, moving to different places where they prefer to live um, and away from from work. So how do you see the industry evolve in the next few years? I keep hearing people say, well, you know, there will be no more branches. Um, everything will be cashless. But I, I don't think um, that will be anywhere close to our future. Curious to hear your thoughts on how you think your credit union will be serving your members and, and what makes you different. Yeah, it's it's funny. I have a colleague of mine in the credit union world, and he's been uh, with this credit union for, I want to say, 25, 30 years. And he had posted something saying, you know, kind of reflecting on what's happened over those years. He said, you know, when ATMs came out, they said that was the death of the branches. And they kept going. And then when online banking came out, that was the death of branches. And then mobile banking came out, that was the death of branches. And we we still see them. I think it's obviously changed the role of the branch. Um, we're seeing a lot more transaction transactions move to online and mobile and all those different uh, you know channels we have. Uh, but I think there still is a place for the branches. And it, if anything, some sometimes it's just that being able to show that you're in the community. And I think there's still a, a place for that. And where people, even if they move, right, they want to see that they have a place to go. It's funny. Um, we we deal a lot with, we were a teacher's credit credit union originally, and we were talking with some new teachers recently. And, and this was a younger new teacher uh, that was asking, oh, where are your branches? And we were trying to discuss that. And as we talked, we said, well, when's the last time you went to a branch? She said, well, maybe four or five years ago. But she still wanted the comfort to know, like, if I do have to go to a branch, that it's there. I think there's this misconception. Um, and, and when we talk about age demographics as well, that, uh, you know, only the older people want to go to the branch and younger people don't ever care to go to a branch. But it really depends on what you're doing, what kind of banking you're doing. I think uh, if, if you're younger, you've grown up and you're very comfortable doing transactions on your phone. Um, you know, you're comfortable. You, you've never had to deal with a checkbook. You never had to go in and deposit a check in a brand. There's all these things like they've never had to deal with and never will. And that's fine. Um, 
but we have a lot of younger members that when they get their first auto loan, when they're getting their first mortgage, they want to talk to someone. And whether it's over the phone or in a branch, they feel more comfortable knowing what's going on. Whereas the opposite's true. If if you're, you know, 50, 60 years old and you've got however many auto loans of your lifetime, you may just go online and say, yeah, send me the paperwork. I don't I know how it's done, right? Like you're fine, but you may be more comfortable going in and depositing a check. And so it's it's funny how there's we've added all these channels and we're not necessarily just saying now we're switching all to mobile or all digital. Um, there's a lot of people that say, I just want more of everything now. And so <laughs> it becomes difficult. Uh, and like you mentioned, like there's people are saying, well, we just not going to deal with old people. Like we're going to leave people behind and say, if they don't want that, uh, they don't get it. But I think looking across the board and saying, okay, how do we move the technology ahead? Because we do have to get more efficient, but how do we get people to adopt that? Um, but also make them feel comfortable with it. And then also we have, you know, fraud protections. We have all these different things that have to be there. Uh, Cause we're, we're coming up on 70 years in business. And so I bring this up a lot because that's, that's a lot of years <laughs> and I want to make sure we keep going. And we have obviously have challenges. Our, our way that we've always done business isn't going to be the same. We do it here in the next few years. And so we have to adapt and we have to, you know, adopt those technologies that will help us do that. Uh, but I don't think we can also just leave people behind um, that don't adapt to that. And whether they are younger or older, there's people that do appreciate whether it's community presence um, or also just being able to call up and talk to a human being, which is more and more rare these days. <laughs> That, that actually will be me. Um, normally, I try to go online. If I can't figure it out, I would dial a number and I'll keep hitting zero until I can find someone because, you know, I don't want to waste time and talk to a bot. I just want to talk to a person. But you did bring up an interesting point because I remember, oh, quite a few years ago now, we went through this whole cycle of, oh, millennials don't want to own anything. They are renting cars and they are doing you know, right share. They are still renting apartment. As it turns out, they actually do buy cars. As it <laughs> turns out, they do buy houses just a little bit later. They shift it, their time. Um, and uh, I think there was a stat that said that, you know, more people are getting married later in life. So, you know, I, I like to think that as much as I, we like to say all the, um, generations are different now i sound like you know my grandmother um <laughs> even though all the generations are different we actually have more and similar than you know we appreciate so i i i appreciate your point about evolving and adapting and not leaving people behind um and i guess that leads really well into the next question i have because i noticed that on american banker you guys were named one of the best credit unions to work for congratulations thank now, you um, it's, it's amazing. Like I, I still love as much as I love digital interaction. I still love spending time with people in person. Um, I love seeing those pictures of you guys, like everyone all happy, smiley on there. Um, <clears throat> and recently I spent some time with college students as well. And they also talk about, you know, their passion for, for change, their passion for making sure that, you know, 
We're not leaving people behind that. We are aligned with the values that some of the members that we're working with and dealing with. So what would you say um, to these younger people, why they should come work for your credit union when they graduate, like instead of, I don't know, a wealth management firm or one of those, you know, big Wall Street banks? I love that question. It's, you know, I've been fortunate. Uh, I, I started in this career a little younger. Um, and now that I'm technically outside of the young professional <laughs> uh, zone, but I, uh, for, for a few years, I got to lead uh, both locally here and nationally, some young professional groups. And we talked a lot about this because not only um, our credit union membership of saying, Hey, we need to attract younger members and show them the value of credit union membership. Uh, we also talked a lot about how do you attract uh, an amazing workforce and have this, we have this war for talent. Like how do we convince them that this is a great career um, because it is different. And like, like I said, even my path, like I'd never, you know, when I was younger, I didn't say, Hey, I want to be a credit union CEO when I grow up. Um, that was never anything on my radar. Um, but I love being in this position. And so, yeah, how do we take someone out of college and say, this is a great career to be in? Um, I think something that we offer and that I think aligns with with a lot of people's values, not just younger people, is uh, that community-focused uh, mentality and that idea that you can actually make a difference with what you do in, in your job. And that's something... Uh, here at Landing, and I know a lot of credit unions, and there's a lot of employers that do that, that when you are values-based, when you're saying, hey, this is one of our, our products or our services is, is banking, right? We do financial services, but here's who we are and why that makes a difference. Um, and I think that goes into that difference of like, how do we keep doing this for years and years and years when we're in a market, the Phoenix market, which is you have any option to go any place you want you know, and do your banking, that we have people that still choose to come here when we're one of the smaller players in the market, that we're offering them something that they're they're tied to us, but we also have our employees that we value and the and the relationships that they have in our community. And so I think when you are are focused on that community, when you're focused in saying, okay, we want to be able to develop you. And you know, we have about 60 employees, right? So there's not it's, it can be tough when you're saying, I want you to move up, but sometimes that's tough to get you there as soon as you want it. But my, my attitude's always been, while we have you here, I want to develop you into the best person you can be, whether that's professionally, personally, whatever you want to do. And if that means we get to keep you for as long as you're here, that's awesome. If that means you move on to bigger and better things and you're able to provide for your family or create this life that you wanted, like I'll cheer you on as much as I can and support you. And so I think that's the attitude that we try to take on that. This is a great place to work. And whether if it's, it's a short time, whether if this is your, we have a lot of people that have been here for a really long time and love being here. And so it creates a, a good atmosphere here. It's something that our members and our community see. And so we want to keep that going, but it takes a lot of work because you have to be really mindful that you're not just here for the, you know, your business, right? Like we're just banking is what we do, but it's not who we are, right? That's not our purpose. That's not anything else.
It's what you do, but not who you are. I like that line. Um, what gives you hope and what keeps you up at night? Um, you know, so I have four children uh, of my own. I've, uh, like I said, worked with young professionals. I do a lot with the university down here where I have uh, interview every year for scholarships. And uh, I know sometimes people get down on our, our youth, but uh, I really, what gives me hope is when you talk to them and the way they view the world and the ideas that they're coming up with. And I just think about where I was in college or in high school. And I'm like, I don't think I was thinking about these things back then. I don't even remember what was on my mind, but it wasn't, wasn't this. And so really what gives me hope is I think whether it's through technology, whether it's through uh, relationships, whatever it is, like they, they've got ideas on how to keep improving this world that we're in. And so that that's what gives me hope. I think um, I, I like to look back, like I've mentioned a few times, we've been here 70 years. I want to think that in 70 years from now, we, we've we got someone great in charge that hasn't been born yet that's going to come up with some amazing ways of doing things that we've never even thought of. I just think that we have a lot of opportunity ahead of us to to use technology, to use uh, better processes, to do things better than we've ever done it. And we're just, we haven't been able to think that way because we've grown up in a, a different time, right? And we all like to think that the time that we grew up and the way we've always done things is the best thing ever and that can never get better. Um, but there's always better ways to do things. So that's what gives me hope. I think there's a lot of uh, great young people out there that are going to really change the world in a better way. Uh, what keeps me awake at night? I think uh, a lot of times it's it's shorter term view for me is, like I said, I started in the CEO position as, as COVID was hitting. I was a credit unit examiner coming out of the great recession, you have all these just big things. And um, I love strategic planning. I love thinking of, of ways to, to create change. Uh, it's those things I can't control, <laughs> which I always have to get out of my mind of like, okay, what's going to happen with rates? What's happened with inflation, the economy? What's the global economy doing? What's the pace of you know technology that's going to take over? All those things kind of keep me up because I want to be able to um, adjust. One of my favorite sayings is you can't uh, control the waves, but you can learn how to surf. And so um, that's what I like to do is like, okay, what's what's going on and how can I adjust to take advantage of whatever situation we're in to put us in the best position, whether it's me personally or our credit union. Um, and so that's that's what kind of keeps me awake at night is is what's beyond my control. That resonates so much because my favorite thing I often tell people is you can't control what other people think and what other people do, but you can always control your own reaction to it. Um, <clears throat> it's very similar. I, I, I like that. Now, before I let you go, I do want to ask you, since we did talk about your credit union being around for 70 years, um, and in the future, we don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, Likely there's going to be another few great minds that will come along and steer us in the direction, hopefully, in where we need to be. So in conclusion, if you were to put three things in a time capsule and let's say keep it there for another 70 years, what would that be? So um, first of all, I mentioned this earlier. I love music, so I would find some sort of music in there uh, just to, you know, I guess you can keep it digitally anyways, but... I'd put some, some way to listen to who knows what music will be like in, in 70 years, but uh, some way to, to listen to 
to music of what we were listening to then. Um, I, I love pictures. That's something as, as we look back here as well and just how things have grown. Um, when we started here in Tempe in 1953, it was a very small town. Uh, there wasn't much to it. And so we have some of those pictures back then and those original pe- I love just remembering, you know, the people there, what things looked like. I think it's so cool to just see how different things were. And you can then imagine like, oh, this is this was a very different place. And so I'd love to have multiple pictures of both people and locations of what they look like. And uh, then finally, um, I, kind of more on the banking nerd side, I'd say I'd love to put in like a debit card or a checkbook, things that are already almost getting <laughs> to be dinosaurs and say, you know, 70 years from now, say, what, what did people use these for? You know, like, oh, you had to have a piece of plastic in your wallet that you had to swipe and... <laughs> Just to think of, I mean, it's already kids don't even know what a checkbook is, but it's it's those things that are rapidly changing on how we transact, how we do business, that things that we do every day now are just going to be so ridiculous, probably, and not not the too distant future. I just had to write a check today <laughs> for um, for my kids, Viola teacher. So um, I that that does resonate. I would love for one day that we can actually get rid of it. Um, I thought you were going to talk about those, um, you know, those, those tubes, the pneumatic tubes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that is fascinating. Cause I think the, the, the first time that I saw it actually was during the pandemic. Really? It was in the back branch. We did a drive through in downtown and, um, it was the pneumatic thing that was shooting. I, I never saw it. <laughs> growing up um so that was that was really cool um my kids asked me like what is this i said well <laughs> yes we'll all figure it out um but that's awesome this, this has been a wonderful conversation i really 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 truly how many adjectives can i put in there um appreciate your time today brian i thank you so much and uh keep doing the great things that you guys are doing we need more like you appreciate it i really appreciate it i'm honored to be able to chat with you today Thank you. And for the rest of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.